All right. So let's um, do this quickly. Um, last week you had um, two very powerful couples um, share that word and testimony with us. Uh, amazing relationships. Let's appreciate them for coming up and, and sharing with us last week. That was really good. James and Bisola, Chini and Ife, they did a fantastic job last week. It was really, really good. That's right. That was really good. That was really good. What we want to do today, we just want to continue a little bit along the lines of what we've been talking about, um, the seasons of a relationship. And I'm um, just going to be a bit brief about this today. Father, we thank you and we honor you for your word. Spirit of the living God, we appreciate you for the way you've been teaching us, bringing your word to us, renewing our mind, destroying ideologies that are not profitable to us. Thank you, Lord. Today we're asking that you would transform us again through your word in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody, in Jesus' name. All right. God's purpose for relationship, let's have this in mind. The purpose that God has for relationship, okay, uh, it's important we have what, know what God has in mind for relationship. Number one is fulfillment and satisfaction. Number two is fruitfulness and protection. And number three is safety and protection. Uh, this is the reason why God wants you to be in a relationship, wants me to be in a relationship. This is his purpose for a relationship. In other words, a relationship that is not meeting these standards is substandard. If you're in a relationship, okay, a man-woman relationship, there's no fulfillment, there's no satisfaction, there's no productivity for two are better than one. You don't feel a sense of security, a sense of safety and protection. Okay, If you don't have that, that's a substandard, subnormal, suboptimal relationship. This is what God wants for you. This is why God created a relationship. All right, let's move on quickly. Now, relationship, in the relationship, there is evolution. In the relationship, there is evolution. So in other words, seasons give way to seasons. So, and... It's important we know what seasons we are, what season you are right now, so that you can uh, get into, when you get into a relationship, or if you are already in a relationship, you know the season you are, so you know what to do in the season you are. This lack of discerning of the seasons is what makes people make some very serious mistakes that carries with it a lot of serious consequences. All right? And we want to look at some of these seasons. So the last time I had an opportunity of speaking to you, I spoke to you about the first season, which is self-discovery. And I want to go back a little bit more into it and take it a bit deeper today. Then challenge you to do a bit of an assignment on your own during the week. Is that all right, friends? Yeah, because what, I've, what we've come to note is this. You knowing who you are, you've already solved over 50, and I mean it, over 50% of the challenges that happen in a relationship. When you know who you are, 
when you discover who you are yourself, self-discovery. Because a lot of the challenges that happen in a relationship is that the people that get into the relationship don't even know who they are. So if you are not well-defined, you will be badly defined in the relationship. If you are not well-defined. So you need to be well-defined yourself. You need to know who you are before you get into the relationship. Okay? In the scriptures, in John chapter 1, verse 19 to 22, John was asked the question, who are you? Okay? And they gave him many options. Are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Are you this? Are you that? And he said, no, 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 I'm not any one of those ones. And this is who I am. And he discovered himself and he communicated exactly who he was. Okay? He said, I'm not the Messiah. Then he told them, you know, look at the op options they were giving him. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. You see, this is what happens in relationships. People get in a relationship with you and they expect you to be somebody else. I can't tell you how many people are in a relationship and they're not in a relationship with the person in the relationship. They're in a relationship with the person they want to be in a relationship with them. Not the person that they're present in the relationship with. And this causes all manners of schisms and all manners of challenges in the relationship. All right? So the question then is not what people are saying about you on social media, not what people are saying about you on the streets of gossip. The question is what do you say about yourself? What are you saying about yourself? Who are you? And I spoke to you the last time I said, when we ask the question, who are you, we're not asking about your technical qualifications. So this is not about Wale Akishiku trained as a pharmacist, um, you know, working as a pastor, that's not who I am, okay? That's what I do. So you have to separate who you are from what you do. What you do is not your identity. It is who you are that makes what you do work. Is that, is, are, you, are, you, are you in the house? Who you are is far more important than what you do. It is who you are that gives value to what you do, Okay? Who you are is what gives value to what you do. Now, this is something that is very powerful. You don't attract who you want. You attract who you are. You know, I've, I've seen people that say, oh, well, when you, if you want to mate as a Christian, you've got to be very specific with God, write down the list and put down all the things you want. So somebody says, well, you know, oh, yeah, this is what I want. So a lady might say, oh, this is the kind of guy I want. I want a guy that has six-pack. Praise God. Six back, praise God. And six figures, praise God. And it's at least six feet tall, praise God. That means six, six, six. That means the guy is Antichrist. <laughs> I, had, I had somebody say that. So, but we don't attract who we want. We attract who we are. This is just the law of spirit. This is just the law. Okay? It's who, who we are. You attract your type. You know, I know that, you know, you know, you've heard it. Opposites attract. In a sense, it's true. Opposites attract. External opposites attract. In other words, man to woman. They're opposites, right? That's right. Man, woman. Okay, but when, when they say opposite attracts, that's what they're talking about. Really, really, 
the Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? So there's a dimension of agreement, of commonality between the two of them that will come together. There's a dimension of commonality. Keep that in mind, okay? Now, if you have been in a relationship before, which I suppose some of you here have experimented. No? Yes? Oh, it's quiet. You don't want to talk. This is church. We're going to help each other, right? Not really? All right, let me, let me move on from this slide then. Nobody, nobody wants to be truthful here. If you have been in a... <laughs> if you have been in a relationship before, okay, let's assume the relationship did not work out, you know, there are some tendencies in the relationship that were not healthy. As a result of that, you're coming out or you came out of that relationship and you were hot. Your feelings were hot. Your emotions were rough, ruffled. <laughs> Before you enter another, a subsequent relationship, please note, you need to be healed. You need to be healed. Before you enter a subsequent relationship, it's important you're healed. Now, healed could be that you, you, you know, people that have been through, definitely not you because you're all young people, but people that have been through divorce, understand this. People have been through a relationship and then married, then they divorce. And sometimes as a result of divorce, because divorce, part of the challenge of divorce is that it leaves people sometimes with a mindset of rejection. So in order to prove quickly that I'm not rejected, I'm, I'm still very, I can still be in a viable relationship, they get into another relationship immediately. And so it's called rebound. You know, in medicine, you know, in medical science, they'll call it, it's like when you eat and you have this thing called acid reflux. When the food wants to come back to your plate, after it's gone into your stomach, you have this rebound. There's just a reaction. You get into the next relationship, but not with the right reasons. You've not healed from the previous relationship, and automatically there's a rebound. This is a law. So, but okay, for you, if, if you're hurt, you've been hurt in the relationship, you've got to understand it's important you heal, and then, even more importantly, learn one or two lessons. At the very minimum, learn how not to. Is this making sense to anybody? Before you jump into the next relationship. Particularly, definitely for women, but more importantly for all the young men listening to me. Listen very carefully. For some reason, we think women are the ones that are hot because women express their pain outwardly. When a woman is hot emotionally, you will get to know. You know that men, because you grew up, many of you saw your mom. When your mom is not happy, the whole temperature in the house is hot. Nobody's happy in the house. Is that right? Nobody's happy in the house. Everybody's everywhere, everywhere in the house is hot. When your mom is not happy. You know, women tend to express their emotions that way and thank God for them. We, we love them. We, we, we thank God for them. The world would be an extremely boring place without them. They make life extremely colorful without the women. It's very bad. You know, I, I can tell you this. I've had many meetings with men only 
church service, men's program, only men. And I'm saying, please, somebody send me to a women's conference, please. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Anyway, you know, but for men, when we hurt, we have this concept of masculinity, of men don't cry, men don't show that they hurt. Oh, yeah, she's gone, she's gone. But she's gone, she's gone. But your heart is broken, broken. <laughs> your heart is messed up. You are messed up on the inside. You're broken. You're hurting. But who are you going to tell? I mean, how can a guy tell his friend? I said, my guy, you know, that girl that left me, my heart is broken. I mean, you, 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 look like, you look like you're not a man. So how do men deal with their emotions? Men have emotions, you know. No? Yes? Any man in there? No? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Men have emotions, you know. So how do we deal with it? I mean, this, this thing can be... You will need to learn how to handle this, particularly for men, because if you get into another relationship immediately after your heart has been broken by a lady, you are likely to abuse that next lady. You're likely very likely to abuse the next lady. So that's why it's important that you catch up. Uh, because, you see, people that, are, people that are sick, they look for nurses to take care of them. Is that not true? Yeah, yeah. That's what they look for. People that are lost look for a messiah. Okay? People that are broken, they look for therapists. And some of you, that's what you're looking for in a relationship. You don't, but you don't know. You get into a relationship, you say, well, the lady is not understanding my emotions. The lady is just not there for me. What you're really saying is that I want a nurse. And she's not a nurse. She's in a new relationship. She's looking for a man. You are looking for a nurse in the relationship. So you've got to understand that. Sometimes the man is there, you know, his emotions are all broken, his, his heart is all broken. The man is lost. He doesn't even know who he is. You're looking for a messiah. And here is a nice lady, you're in a relationship with her, and she's trying to find you. She says, are you here? I'm talking to you. Are you here? Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? But you're not there. You're lost. Your heart is still with the lady you left in Sokoto. Well, whatever you left her. Can I speak to you guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, this self-discovery is what enables you and I We've done this one last week, but I put it there. I will talk about it a little bit more. This self-discovery is what allows you and I to say no in a relationship without feeling guilty or say no to a, a potential relationship without a sense of guilt. Or regret. We're able to... So, so because I know where I am, when I meet... Somebody or somebody say, Oh, I'd like you to meet my friend. Oh, you need to meet my friend. You will like her. She's this, she's so nice, she's caring, she's this, she's that. All right. And tells the friend also, oh, I like you to meet I have this this guy. You know, he's a friend to my brother, he's a friend to my friend. You know, I like you to meet this guy. The guy's cool, the guy's nice, is this, is that, you know, and connects both of us. Then we get we get connected. But because I know where I am, I can I've met the lady. There's nothing wrong in the lady. But there is something wrong in me being in relationship with that particular person. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I know, I found out who I am right now. I know the relationship will not work. So I can say no without feeling guilty. I can say no without feeling what? Particularly for ladies, please hear this very well. And then your friend tells you, what's your problem? You've not been in a relationship for one year. Now you want to lose this guy. Look at this guy. You should be able to accept this COVID that allows you to say no to, to that offer without you feeling a sense of guilt. Listen to me. Being in a relationship is not like getting a job. It's not like, well, handle this one until a better job comes. <laughs> you have finite, finite um, um, degrees of your emotions. So your emotions is not endless. Okay? It's, there's only that much you can take. And you don't want your heart to just be constantly broken. Okay? Self-discovery is also what it gives you an advantage, ability to say yes in the relationship without fear of the future. Not only does it give you the capacity to say no without feeling guilty, you're also able to say yes without any fear of the future. Okay? When my wife met me, when we met, you know, I was 26. I was 25 years old when we met. I got married at 26. I was 25 years old when we met. When we met, I did not look externally. I didn't look like somebody that would be successful. Let's, let's put it in uh, contemporary terms, you know, externally. It is true that my background, I, was, I trained in the same school she went to as a pharmacist. Some of our friends were actually in my class. When we started talking, we got to know that, you know, and so on and so forth. She was from um, a high um, strata of society, or higher strata of society than me. Why are you looking at me that way? I was from a little bit closer to the bottom of the ladder society in terms of family social status. You know, but we met in England and London is a leveler. So, <laughs> you know, London is a leveler. So we met in England and, and so on and so forth. But she was able to say yes without fear of the future because she, was, she knew who she was. Knowing who you are gives you the ability to know what you want. But you need to know who you are first before you can define what you want. Are you hearing what I'm saying, somebody here? So let's look at quickly an example. Now, this is an example of a man called Abraham. If, as a Christian, Abraham is the father of faith. Now, in this particular story I'm going to show you, it's in Genesis 24. You can go home, take your time, and read it. Here, Abraham is trying to get a bride for his son called Isaac, which is another patriarch of the faith. Isaac. Trying to get a bride for Isaac. So he was speaking to his servant, and that's the way it works in those days, right? Telling the servant, you know, you go, you go get a bride for my son, Abraham, and everything. So he gave the, the, the servant in his house that was about to go get a bride, he gave the servant some stipulated parameters, clearly stipulated parameters of what I want. In all of the parameters he gave, there was no parameter about the physical statistics of the girl. He didn't say, well, I want a girl that has these statistics. I want a girl of this pigmentation. I want no, not anyone of anything to do with that. But there were still clearly stated parameters. So what are some of these parameters? Let's look at it. So Abraham said to the oldest servant, 
put your hand under my thigh. That means come and make a vow. Okay? That's how they enter a covenant or make a vow in those days. It's almost like today saying, put your hand on the Bible and swear. Are you following what I'm saying? All right. Okay. And then he said, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. In other words, I have proximity to the Canaanites. I dwell among them. There are so many beautiful Canaanites, women, you know, that I dwell. He said, but don't take one of them. Don't take one of them. Why? Because the Canaanites, the Canaanites, their value system is completely different from the value system of the Israelites. The Canaanites have their gods. They have their gods that determine that have dictated their values. So the values those ones cherish completely different from the values the Israelites cherish. Are you following now? Come on, people. Are you following, people? So their identity is different. Their purpose in life is different. And I told you this thing called VIP, values, identity, and purpose. Very important in a relationship. So she said, Abraham said, you know what? Don't do the Canaanites. They might be beautiful. I'm not saying some of them are not nice. Some of them are very nice. They're very caring. They're very cautious and all of that. But it goes deeper than that. Value, value, the value system. Is going to, it's not going to work out with Abraham, with my son Isaac. All right? So he said, you shall go to this particular country, my family and everything. And the servant asked a very important logical question. He said, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me. And that's what people say. When will you get a man like that? When will you get a, a guy like that? Are you crazy? Wake up, smell the coffee. There are no guys anymore. Just get this one you want. Seriously? Listen. So Abraham said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the, from where you came? So the servant was asking the cook, he said, what if I don't get anybody? Then can I go just get anybody I want? If I don't get the particular one I want? What was Abraham's answer? Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. Why was Abraham so firm, so convinced? What, what gave him the capacity to say no to the servant without feeling guilty? Because he knew who he was and who, who he was. Because of self-discovery, Abraham knew who he was. So he was able to say this. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Somebody said, a woman walked up to one of my daughters some years ago. She went to the, my daughter went into the washroom in our previous building, you know, and just went to the washroom, you know, um, and, you know, they met there in the washroom. And the lady said, oh, how are you? So, 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 so. I said, came out of the washroom. So the lady started talking to her and said, you know what, I have a brother. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a brother, and you know, I just thought you're such a nice girl, and so and so and so forth. You know, I like you to kind of like connect, like with my brother. Oh, that would be nice. That's fine. I want to just kind of like take your number and give it to my brother. Oh, it's not that's all right. Um, where's your brother? Oh, he's in Nigeria. Okay, all right. That that's okay. It's not a, not it's not a showstopper for some people. That's all right. But then. So I think they got along talking himself and lady, this woman, not with the brother, but the woman. What does the brother do? The woman could not define what the brother did. Um, well, it's, it is this, but 
right now it's not doing anything, and so on and so forth. And so, 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 after, so basically the guy is not doing anything. So she told me, she said, this is what the woman said. This, she said, Pastor, can I just see for a minute? This is, I met a lady, this is what the lady said. I said, oh, I said, so you could tell me what you want to do. Do you want to be an immigration agent? Come on, let me come to this side. These people are not doing very well. <laughs> Do you want to be an immigration agent that helps bring somebody from Nigeria to Canada? Or you want to be in a relationship? I said, because if you want to be an immigration agent, there's nothing wrong in helping somebody. If you want to help somebody, be an immigration agent, then let's know, let's know that's what you want to do. But if you're thinking of a relationship, you're joking. So this is not a relationship. You understand? The guy is not working. Check the scripture. Everybody that got married in scripture, it usually for many people, it was at the place of work that they met. Work, they were working. Isaac was in the farm meditating when Rebecca met him. Rebecca herself was working as a shepherdess. You know, Ruth and Boaz, Boaz was on the farm. Ruth also was working there. She went there to glean. Okay, look at all of those people. There's a reason why the Bible put it like that for us particularly for a man. The man might not necessarily be working on Wall Street or on Bay Street, but he must be working. He's going to be functionally the head of the family. He must have something to work. He can't say, I'm working on something. No, not working on something, but working. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, you don't like that? You better like it. It's for your good. It's for your good. The man must be working. Don't say, well, Pastor, it's all right. I, I have two houses. My dad bought me one. I bought one for myself. He's going to be all right. He's going to move into my house. Let me tell you what's going to happen. He's going to move into your house. And great. You're going to buy him nice clothes. Awesome. You're going to dress him up, buy him Gucci, buy him, you know, all my last of designer. You know, awesome. What, one day he's going to wake up, look at himself in the mirror with all the Gucci and all of that. Then something's going to happen to him. His ego will kick in. Trust me, it's ego that's been lying fallow. One day, it will be triggered. Then you are going to come back from work one day, you are going to be upset. Because you're going to come back from work one day while the guy is still there, you know, watching Man City and West Ham or Liverpool and Chelsea, FA Cup, watching it for the second time. While he's watching it, or basketball, you know, playoffs, watching it now, and then suddenly you say, ah, I came in, you didn't even say hello to me. He says, Sell it to you. Hi. And he's watching, and he's watching. Then you are getting upset. You look at him, suddenly something runs through your own mind. In my house. <laughs> on, sitting on my couch. <laughs> sitting on my couch. Watching my TV. Enjoying my AC. You understand? Eating my popcorn. <laughs> then you suddenly say, Can't you see I'm talking to you? Then something triggers inside the guy. That if all is well with me, why am I like this? Then the guy stands up and says, I don't like you talking to me that way. Don't, don't you start. He said, what? Hey, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't, why do you mean don't touch me? Before you know what's happening, <laughs> it might not necessarily beat you, but something has triggered in him. Let me tell you the way the mind of a man works. The man in his mind is just thinking, how do I get out of this slavery? I'm going to get out of this slavery. You know, and even if the man comes down and says, Okay, oh, I'm you know, honey, I'm so sorry. What he's thinking to himself is that I have six months. I have six months. See, thank God I have the Fendi now. I have the Gucci. I have everything. I have six months. Other girls are already eyeing me out there anyway. 
I'm going to get whatever I can get from you. You're my banker. I get the money from you. I go marry the girl that will respect me. Because the way God has designed a man, a man cannot function in a relationship in which he's not respected. He can't. He can't. Any relationship a man is, and the man is not respected, the man will malfunction. Because it's not designed by God to function and be productive when there's no respect. Every man must... You know, you know this thing is so powerful that I, I coach mothers and I tell mothers, once your son reaches a particular age, you have to stop seeing him as a son. Start seeing him as a man. He's a man now. You have to start talking to him as a man. Because he's a man. The man has to be respected. I know you're the mother, but you're still a woman. The point is going to come when the man, the man, the man in him is going to be saying, hello, this is the female voice I'm hearing. I deserve some respect. Though he's still your son. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. For me, I remember when that time came from in my own life. I was age 15. It came very early. I was about 15, oh, 16. About 16. My mom used to, when I was young, my mom used to order me to go and sit in a store. Just go and sit down there. I don't know if some of you will understand what I mean by that. Do you understand what I mean by that? My mom had a front, you know, front store. And as a young boy, 10, 11, I would go and sit down there. But at 16, she couldn't order me around anymore. Even when she looked at me, when I stood up, when I, when I stood up, she was, she was here. <laughs> I was already a tall, lanky man. When she said, called before when she called me, while I said, yes, ma. When she called me, I said, yes. Ah. She knew things have changed. Because there's something inside a man that tells you you're the head. Well, yeah, if, but at the same time, all that while, though I was tall, and I'm taller, far taller than my dad. You know, my biological dad. No, so, but still, because he's a man, the voice, something triggered when he sees his wallet. Something still tells me, inside me, that lion to lion, take it easy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because he's a man, there's just this something. You just know that this is another lion. It's something inside a man, regardless of their culture. So if you cannot respect the man and you think you can buy him and use external riches to put pressure on him and he will follow you for a time before he gets his freedom. Every man one day is going to seek his freedom. You will I've been sure, you know, you're all educated. You've read about the French Revolution. One day there's going to be a revolution. Okay, enough said. <laughs> Let's look at the second example. Rebecca, this is the, the first example was a man, second example is a woman. Rebecca said yes. Now, how do you say yes to a man? You know, Rebecca said yes when the parents called her. It's a long story also in Genesis 24. Rebecca said yes when the servant said to them, I've spoken to Rebecca, Rebecca said great, told the parents and said, don't hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, we're going to call the young woman, that's Rebecca now, and ask her personally. So they were thinking, the parents were thinking, we're going to call Rebecca and ask her personally. So they called Rebecca and said, are you interested in this young man? Do you really want to do this? Do you know that you're going to another country? Do you know you're going to be changing location? You're going to a place you've never lived before, and so on and so forth. What did Rebecca say, verse 58? They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And what did she say? Come and speak to me, people. What did she say? What gave her the capacity and the confidence to say yes to a future she does not see? 
to a future that looks abstract to somebody else. The reason is because of this idea called self-discovery. Don't let your friends put pressure on you to get into a relationship. Own it. Don't let people say, everybody's doing it. You also have to be in a relationship so that when we all go out, we all go out for dinner together, you know, all of us will sit together, the eight of us, well, you're the only one that's not in a relationship, and you be, in, you be under pressure, and you go and get into a relationship with this loser of a guy that does not even remember if it's a guy or a woman that is still floating. Okay? You can't do that. Rebecca said yes. She was confident to say yes because, because, she knew who she was. So the quick question then is this. How do I find out who I am? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Okay, I'm going to give you four things. And I will take one of them. We're going to talk about it in a bit more details. Is that all right, people? All right. These are the four things you need to look for. So this is what I call the framework of self-discovery. Please, I beg you, do this. If you do this, I know it's going to take you some time. It could take you one week. It could take you two weeks. Do it. You will have saved yourself pain. 20 years, 25 years of pain. If you do this, you discover who you are. It's going to be, of course, in this initial context, relationship. But even for everything in life. I've had many offers in my life. Based on what I did, there was a time in 2000. 2009, I got two scholarships in the U.S. to come and study. You know, both of them came within four weeks of each other. Two powerful scholarships, full scholarships to come and study, do a master's degree in a particular. One of them came in, it was management, something, something. The other one came in, it was some master's in theological studies and so on and so forth. I rejected both of them in, in the same, with, with, it wasn't even, the, it, was in, it was very simple for me to reject. Now, this was 2008, 2009 early 2009. The reason why it was easier for me was that I discovered who I was. I discovered myself. Okay? I knew that, yes, I'm, I can follow my education in different dimensions, but not to leave what I'm presently doing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because what I'm presently doing is what I'm designed by God to do. And this is what helped me. This is the framework I used to know where I am. Are you ready? Number one, your context. Write it down, please, if you're writing. Number two, your character. Number three, your content. And I will explain all of this. Number four, your covenant. These four things, which I will open up for you, unpack in a few minutes. We'll take one of them because of our time today. Context, character, content. Content, you can also call it charisma. And the covenant you have with God. All right? This is the framework of your self-discovery. In other words, if you have a better understanding of your context, you know your character, you know your content, which is your charisma or charismata, your giftings, you know the covenant you have had, you have with God, that's who you are. That will help you in everything you do. I mean, it cuts across everything, but today we're speaking specifically about relationship. Did you capture that? Sorry, did you capture that? All right, so let's look at context. Uh, let's look at just this one for today. What do I mean by context? Write this down. Your environment, your education. So this is, ex this is actually what you're going to do today or this week or the next one or two weeks. Your environment, 
your education, your ex experiences, and your exposure. So let's explain. What does this mean? The environment in which you grew up has a lot to do with who you are. The environment in which you grew up. Now, somebody said, well, doesn't, the, doesn't we hear all the time that we should forget our past? Yes, forget the pain of, but that, you have to understand that your environment shaped you. Is that true or not? Yes, your environment shaped you. Some of you grew up in turbulent environments. You have to understand that. Okay? That doesn't mean that you should seek turbulent environment again, but you should understand that you're coming from turbulence. Now, anybody coming from turbulence, what do you think they're looking for? The opposite of that turbulence, stability. So even if the person is, is not going to give you any other thing, every other thing they're going to offer you is dangerous, once they point you to some level of stability, straight away. That is why young ladies that don't have father figures. Maybe their father was a mess. Can I speak to you truthfully? If you're a young lady, you grew up in a family whereby respectfully, respectfully to your biological dad, but I'm saying something here. I'm getting to a point here. There are some biological fathers that are just a jerk. Do you understand? No? True? Yes? They just just a bundle. They didn't send their children to school. They were a mess. They were completely, let's say, the way it is, irresponsible. Didn't put money down. It was the mother that did all of that. You know, they just were running around with everything in his skirt. All manners of things. Now, if you grew up in that environment, oh, there was a lot of turbulence, you know, a lot of battles in your house. If all of this happened, or oh, your father was just one of those kind of people that was just very lazy didn't do anything, sat at home, your mom was the one that brought in the bacon, brought in the sausage, brought in the hot dog, and brought in the pig. If you grew up in an environment like that, listen to me, as a young lady, one thing you have to be careful for is that you have to understand that your environment has wired you not to look for a husband, but to look for a father. <sighs> Am I in the right church? Please understand that. So you will not know this, but what happens is that in a relationship, you are craving and looking for a father figure in a relationship. That's what you're craving. You might not, you might not know this, yourself, but inside you are aware. So what you need to do is that you need to first understand that this is what my environment has done for me. So you know that whatever your environment has done to you, you can deal with that before you take the first step forward into a relationship. Are you hearing what I'm saying at all? Let me give you an example of Topsy. When I met my wife, I didn't, I didn't know this, but she had met a particular guy. I told you this last time also. I've told you before. About two months before. And this guy is the grandson of the first accountant in the country of Nigeria. A very, very, very wealthy man. No name. The name opens a lot of doors and all of that stuff. So while we were talking, just normal chat in a courtship, uh, oh, sorry, just still period of asking out, observation, I call that period. While we're having that, when you ask the guy something, oh, would you like to live in London or what, what's your plan? Will you be staying in England or will you be going back to Nigeria? I said, well, I don't know. I have to ask my dad. This one, so, so, so. Well, no, I'll talk to my dad. So Topsy said, what Topsy was hearing, no, no, what the guy was saying, 
you know, I mean, of course, they were in their 20s and everything. There's nothing completely wrong in what the guy has said. You can live with your dad. It's all right. But what Topsy was hearing because of our own environment was that my father, this is what Topsy was hearing. She told me later that what she was hearing when the guy was saying, I have to talk to my dad, I have to talk to my dad. What Topsy was hearing is that our own father, our own biological father will control this guy. So she said, I don't want to marry somebody that my biological father will control. I want to marry somebody that will be a man. Now, what the guy has said is not completely wrong, but for the environment in which Topsy grew up, whereby the father is the complete alpha, alpha, alpha male. Growing up in the context in Nigeria, with a, the tribe she comes from, God bless that tribe, whereby, in a way, the woman, is, the woman is almost like subservient. Are you following what I'm saying? The man completely dominated the whole place. So, in that kind of a context, she being the only daughter, she didn't want that. So, now hearing this now, she felt, no, I need a man that can at least have some bit of backbone. Then I walk into the picture. She spoke to me. She saw that this one doesn't just have backbone. His backbone is made of steel. She said, that is the kind of guy I need. And incidentally, by the time I spoke to the dad, you know, it's amazing. By the time I spoke to the dad, first time, second time, what the dad told me is this. When I spoke to the dad, and after we, you know, spoken, Thompson and I, we've been going out now, usually for the woman, for the lady, the mom is first to know, normally. Then, by the time he gets to the father, that means the deal is done. You're already, it means you're already in trouble as the man. So when he said, well, I'll be calling my dad. You want to talk to my dad? My dad wants to talk to you. I said, all right, sure. We're in London, England. So I picked the phone. I spoke to dad. When I spoke to dad, when the father was going to speak to me, the father, after the conversation, the father said to me, welcome to the family. Now you're the captain of the family. Thompson said, wow, my dad doesn't speak like that normally. And what has impressed the man was just, not just what, the way I spoke, but what I said. When he told me the questions he asked me and what I said. Even the man was happy that he was handing over his daughter to another alpha male. You see, listen, this point is very important. Understand your own environment. Understand your environment. So that does not mean you will continue to live in that environment, but understand it because it's part of what is driving you. <laughs> then the next one is easier for you to write down, your education. Please, please. Can we, can we really talk here? This is very, very important place. As a person, okay, I know you've heard some people say, it doesn't matter, thus says the Lord, this guy is an illiterate, and you are a lady here, you have three master's degree, but thus says the Lord, he will be your husband. Let me say something to you. God is not confused. God said, I will make the woman a helper that is comparable. How is an illiterate comparable to somebody that has three master's degree? Let's be frank with each other. Can I talk to you? They are not comparable. What are they going to discuss? What are they going to discuss? Illiterate sits down. The man sits down. The lady sits down. So what are they going to talk about? They can't talk about career. What does illiterate know about career? They can't talk about uh, current affairs. It says, um, Vladimir Putin, this was a, he said, yeah, it's true, the Putin in the kitchen. No, not Putin in the kitchen. Vladimir Putin, president of Russia. 
he doesn't, he doesn't know. What are you going to talk about? So the woman would be frustrated. Dressing up a guy is not what makes a man. It's going to be frustrated. So your education is very important. If you are educated, please don't look for the uneducated. It's okay if you have a master's degree, the guy has a, a first degree only. All of that kind of one is fine. That, I don't have, that's not right. But don't look for an uneducated person if you are educated. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are gonna, you know, I was just hearing recently a very sad story, recently, of a man that was not educated. Okay, wasn't educated, but he, you know, he had the natural giftings and the passion and the determination to succeed. He was living in the U.S., so he was doing, you know, business in the U.S. and started doing business, and things were working out for him. Grace was available, so things were working out for him. So he decided, at a particular age, that oh, I got to get married. So he left the U.S., went to Nigeria. Thank you, Jesus. And how difficult is it to get a wife in Nigeria when you are coming from the U.S.? Very, 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 very easy. I'm telling you, very, very easy. Everybody wants to marry a green card. So he got a wife from Nigeria, a young lady, took the lady, they got to the U.S. True life story. They got to the U.S., first child, second child, third child. You know, popping that like that. I chat. So the woman was just a normal, yes, sir. yes, sir. whatever they tell the woman to do. Because at this point now, the first phase of that relationship, the woman is grateful. Are you? Come on now. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? The woman is grateful. You've rescued me from poverty, from the village. The family of the woman are telling the woman, how is your husband? Ah, please be taking care of your husband, though. See what your husband did. You know, so the woman is grateful. But it's only a matter of time. Light will come in. Then light came into the woman. The woman started saying to the man, you know, I want to try and see if I can better myself. I like me go to school to school. I can even help you with some things. So the man said, all right, all right. It fits into his ego. So the woman went to school, got a little bit of, uh, finished her high school. Finished her high school. Said, well, I think I want to just go a little bit and do more. Went in again, did first degree. The man has still not improved himself. All the man kept on saying that, I trained my wife. I'm training my wife. Got first degree. So the man said, you know, they're even telling me in school that I have the capacity, I want to do medicine. The woman went, put, her, put in place, put, <laughs> true life story, went in and for medical school. Then she got a MD. Kamoshi Katalaba Koziana. Got her MD. The man is still very rich, very wealthy, business-minded, everything, but uneducated. The woman now, she's a medical doctor in the US. She's no longer the green card. She has the green card now. She has citizenship now. What's the big deal now? She is she can earn the money now. She's going for residency now. She can earn the money. So she told the man, look at me. Take everything, the list of your thing. Me, I'm not doing this anymore because there's nothing to talk about anymore except the whole conversation now has now narrowed down to the children. That's the only thing they can converse about. Men, wake up. Because sometimes men don't wake up. Men keep on saying, you know, I trained my wife. My wife is this. My wife is that. You better wake up. When God created Adam, God conversed with Adam, showed Adam a lot of things that Adam would teach Eve before God brought Eve. When God told Adam, eat of everything in this garden. Eat of everything in this garden except this tree. 
So, and that's it. Then God created Eve. Adam saw Eve, and Adam said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Are you following what I'm saying now? All right, Adam said that. God never repeated that commandment again when Eve was there. Read your Bible very well. God never repeated it. God expected Adam to tell Eve. So when Satan came and was telling Eve, typical woman, and Satan said to Eve, did God say you should not eat of any fruit in the garden? Eve said, no, that's not what God said, though. God said, eat of everything. But this particular tree, don't even touch it. Now, <laughs> put it on the screen, actually, because they think I'm not, I'm not saying it right. Put it on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Let's look at where, what God told Adam. I want to show you something here. Are you being blessed by this? Put it on the screen. But of the tree of the good of evil, you shall not eat. This is what God is speaking to Adam now. For in the day that you, keep going, you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did you see what God said? Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. Then God created Eve and brought Eve to Adam. And Adam said, bone of my bone and all of that. Are you following now? Now jump to Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Let's take what Eve now said to Satan. Genesis chapter 3, let's start from verse 1, quickly. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. Keep going. And he said to the woman, has God in this said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said, now look at what the woman said to the serpent. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, now look at what the woman said, God said, you shall, keep going, not eat of it, nor shall you touch it. Now, did God say you should not touch it? God said don't eat of it. This is another thing about women that you need to know in the relationship. When women speak, the, their language is completely different from the language of a man. I remember my son would say, that I don't understand, my mom. She said, I never do anything in the house. He said, but I, I still did yesterday. I said, don't worry, don't stop stressing yourself. That's the language of a woman when she's upset. She will say, never, ever. It's always speaking in absolute. But <laughs> it does not mean you never do. It just means, as at this time, I don't feel you ever do. That's what she's saying. She scratches her head I don't get it. I said, don't worry. Just keep living. You're still young. You will get it. It took me a while to. I've been married for almost 27 years. Just recently, I got it myself. <laughs> he said, you shall not touch it. But where did Eve get this from? Of course, he must, have gotten, she must have gotten it from Adam because Adam is the only human being on earth apart from Eve. There must be some value you can add to a woman as a man. And let me say this to you. Women in those days... In the days, I mean, some thousands of years ago, the man was a hunter, the woman was a homemaker. The man goes to hunt, shows his heroism, carries the animal, puts it on his, slings it on his shoulder, and starts coming home to a hero's welcome. You know, bringing the food home to a hero's welcome and walking with some swag and drops it. And the woman is happy, makes the food, and the man is feeling good. Today, all of that is not in place. The woman is a director. The woman is a VP. (laughs) 
You went to school, the woman went to school, you were in the same class, you were struggling with average, the woman was top of the class. But nevertheless, there is still value that must be brought, but the value is not just money. Let me say this to you men. Only women, listen to me, at the base of society, look for money from a man. Real women don't look for the money of a man. They look for value, but not the money. Are you still in the house? So stop deceiving yourself that it's because I don't have money. If only I have some money, I need to get more money. If only I have some money, then what you're looking for is women at the base level of society. Because real women don't look for money from a man. They don't mind the money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they reject it. Don't look for. It's not the same thing as reject. <laughs> Do you understand the construction of my language? <laughs> it does not matter. If, even if she's a billionaire. Because, you see, the reason why you have to understand is that when a man gives a woman anything, maybe like money or whatever, you as a man, you are looking at currency. The woman is not look, a real woman is not looking at currency. She's looking at love. That is an, is, is an action, okay? It's a language that speaks love. It means you want me. It means you love me. It means you want the best for me. So that's why no matter how rich a woman is, she still values gifts because the gift to her is the love language. Do you understand what I've just said now? It's a love language. Okay? So don't go around and say, Pastor said women don't like gifts. I don't want you to be in the base of society, so there's no gift. No, 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 don't do that. You're just going to make a mess of yourself, okay? They'll just classify you as one stingy person, you know. That means you're not showing love, okay? So your education is important. That's your context. Then your experiences in life, the experiences you've had, the experiences you've had, they've shaped who you are. Now, when I talk about experience, I'm talking about mountaintop experiences and value-deep experiences. The biggest disappointments you've had and the highest celebrations you've had. What are your experiences in life? These are all important. These are your, that's your context. That's who you are. That's what makes who you are. And number four, your exposure. What you have been exposed to. This is a very important thing. What are the things you've been exposed to? When my wife was young, when she was about 10 years old, 11 years old, you know, the father being um, the CEO of a multinational company, you know, having schooled in England, weekends, we take them, wanted to just give them the, some of the best life that was available in the country. She was growing up in Nigeria. Take them to Federal Palace Hotel. They will have nice dinner. They'll be served by people and all that. The mom will put books and books and books on her head. Uh, you know, and tell her to walk with her shoulders straight and walk like a lady, you know, and all of that, train her and do all of that. What she was exposed to at age 10 or 11, can't remember exactly now, or 7 or so, they took them to London for holidays and she was exposed to all of that. That was like, that's what she was exposed to. Now, you can't take away from that. Stop saying as a man, the woman is being proud. She's not being proud. That is what she's exposed to. She was exposed to that. She's not being proud. That's her context. So when you meet a lady and the lady says, you know, so and so, so you know, my dad, you know, so yeah, my dad, you know, my dad, yeah, he's there, he's there. The last time he was even saying he's going to Bahamas on private jet, but he wanted me to follow him. I just said I don't want to follow him. Please, please, <laughs> quickly understand. This is the context of the person you're dealing with. 
Don't start fighting it. You understand? Just understand that I have to step up in value. Not necessarily money, but in value to what I'm going to bring to the table. Don't say, mm, you know, even me, I also, it's true. At private jets, what is the difference between private jets and commercial jets? <laughs> There's a big difference, my brother. <laughs> Don't let anybody deceive you, please. 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 Private jet is not the same thing as first class. Very different. But it's not for today. What you have been exposed to. For some of you guys, you have been exposed to a lot. You have been ex- and some of you girls have been exposed to a lot. It's also part of your exposure. No, because some, some of you ladies don't know what love is. The first set, two, three relationships you have, you've been abused. You don't know what a relationship is. Some guys also don't know what a relationship is. You don't know what it means to love a woman. You know, I told you what true love is. This, however, anyway, is your context. What I want you to do is this. Think about your environment. Two, three things of the environment, how you grew up. Write it down. Your education that you have now and you want to have in the next five years. For every one of you here, write it down. This is your self-discovery. Are you hearing me now? Come on, guys. Are you hearing me now? The experiences you've had, the exposures you've had, write it down. This is forming the foundation of a self-discovery, and we're going to go through the rest next time. This is your context. So because, you see, when we move into the next stage and you meet a lady or you meet a guy, and both of you are going to be talking, guess where, once your, once your conversation starts getting substantial, once the conversation starts getting substantial, guess what the conversations are going to be about? It's going to be about knowing your context. You know, so when you say to somebody, you know, I think we need to get to know each other, and I want to get to know you, guess what I'm really asking for? I'm asking for your context. I'm asking for, your, you know, what shaped you, your experiences in life, you grew, you grew, you know, what was that like? What was your family like? What was your context? That's what I'm asking for. That's when the conversation starts getting substantial, this is what's going to happen. Because, and once we start talking like that, in a real conversation, and I start finding out, that your context is completely different from my context, then I better buy running shoes and move on quickly. You know, because it's not going to work if our contexts are completely different. When I met Topsy, God is my witness, and we started, you know, talking, you know, quickly we started speaking about these kind of things, the, you know, and we're talking about when the conversation got, got substantial, this were some of the things right there and then that made me know that, okay, this is the right person. Because our context, listen to me, our context was a perfect fit with my context. Completely perfect fit with my context. So I knew straight away that we don't have, our baseline is fine. Now, don't get me wrong, she's from a higher strata of society and so on and so forth and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, trained with money, sent to London, like you would tell me, remind me once in a while, I was, I was educated with British pounds. I said, praise God, praise God. You know, and all of that, you know, when we're having a joke at home, we're joking and bantering around, you know. But her experiences in life, she'd been broken too. I've seen her broken. You know, I mean, she told me her experiences in life when she went to London and things were not really working out in London and every issue she's ever faced in her life was only one phone call away from being solved. 
call her father. Her father was a well-known, very powerful man in Nigeria. Make one phone call to her biological father, it was solved. Then she faced one particular issue in London. It was, you could, you could call the father, I couldn't be solved. So that means she has joined my context. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, we spoke, then we liked each other. You need to understand these things because if your context is completely asymmetrical, you are going to start having some challenges. Did you learn anything today at all in this service? I'm going to speak to you next week about the character portion of things, and I'm going to speak to you about the charisma. Charisma is not just what they tell you charisma is, of, uh, you know, the person has electricity. No, that's not charisma. Charisma from the Greek word, charisma means gift, grace gift. The gift that comes from God that is given to you, you didn't do anything about it. So we're going to talk about it because the gift and your talents has to do with who you are. Has to do with who you are. So your gifts and the talents and covenants. Covenants. Some of you need to understand this particularly because your names are revelations of the covenants at work in your families. These are also part of what needs to be understood. Okay? That you need to know. Not you need to know to know what you're fighting and what you're dealing with. Are you hearing what I'm saying, people? Uh -huh. So this is what all makes you and you can help to define who you are. So when you know who you are now, then you know what you're looking for. It was a covenant that Abraham had that made Abraham say, no, not the Canaanite. I have a covenant. I have a covenant. You know, I have, no, no, no. Like my biological daughter, my biological son, no. They, they, is, the covenant has automatically eliminated some people that they can marry. They can never marry an unbeliever because of the covenant. They cannot marry an unbeliever. They cannot carry the, because with all the labor I have put in, the mother has put in, automatically they, the next generation has to be rewarded. And an unbeliever will never be rewarded for that. So they can't marry an unbeliever. They will truncate the covenant we have with God. So the covenant has automatically eliminated unbelievers from it. Are you hearing what I'm saying, somebody? So you need to understand the covenant you're carrying. Stand on your feet, please, like a champion. I hope you've learned something today. We're going to continue by the grace of God next week. I want to speak to you about two um, very important um, issues before I take a minute to pray. The first issue I want to talk about is it's just an announcement, actually. The Balanced Living Women's Conference. Yeah, yeah. I want you ladies, it's for ladies, I want the ladies to start appreciating and getting into the mindset of attending Christian conferences. As a Christian, you'll get to learn a lot. Because as a Christian, really, 99% of us Christians will not go through formal Christian education. The way God has done it to make up for that lack of formal Christian education, you know what I mean by that, right? Is through conferences and seminars. Okay, my wife and I were products of conferences and seminars. So please do come. It has a wide range of different things for you. The Friday, the Saturday morning for prayer, the Saturday 
morning uh, session, breakfast, full breakfast, okay, and, you know, which is all completely free. Get a T-shirt, be part of it, get excited, and, of course, we'll wrap it up on Sunday. The concert part of it with Todd Dulaney will be coming with the music part of it. It's going to be really, really awesome, okay? The teachings and the prophetic prayers, all very powerful. So that's the first thing I wanted to say to you. Now, the second thing I want to say to you also is this. Please, listen. There's some of you here, I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your eyes. You're ripe. You want to step into that next phase and season of your life, which is to step into a relationship. You've had many, many things. Some of you are afraid. Some of you are at the point of making a decision. Listen, if that's the case, there is something. Sorry, son, what's the name? Idausa. Let's see, Idausa. Awesome name. There was a great man of God by that name. You've heard of him before, right? Benson Idausa. Awesome name. Well done. What's the name, ma'am? Idera. How come everybody's name started with an I? Idera. What does it mean? Beauty? Comfort. Amazing. Ma'am, what's the name? Smile, ma'am. Amarachi. What does it mean? Grace. Grace. Comfort. What does that mean? You wait on the Lord. Ah, my brother. <laughs> you know, you know, what you said, that's why I was coming to you. What you said now is exactly what I wanted to announce. So we're waiting on the Lord for three days. You understand? <laughs> you understand? <laughs> it does sound. So we're, we're, I want to challenge you on that. We're, going to be, we're fasting for three days, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I want you to join. Normally I'll say, you know, Ignite Church, you don't worry about them. The younger girls, leave them out of this. But really, it's time you start, listen, it's time you start doing business with God. It's time you start having transactions with God and sowing seeds for your future. Is that all right? We're fasting on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now, when we talk about fasting, okay, somebody say, it's difficult. I just can't, I'm, I'm going to die. No, number one, you're not going to die, for sure. Okay, for sure you're not going to die. But is it tough? Yeah, it's tough. You know, we are going to abstain from food, not from water, but from food, till 6 p.m. Okay, now, just do your best. Someone say, well, Pastor, what if I'm almost dying at 4 p.m.? Okay, you're not going to die, for sure. But if you feel you can't go beyond that, then please, by all means, if you're starting doing it for the very first time, that's okay. That's okay. Amarachi is available. Grace is available. <laughs> right? So God make grace abound to us. So then you, you break at four. But I want you to fast. I want every one of you here to do your best at 4 p.m. I'm sorry, on, on, on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to fast. Is that all right, people? Yes, Please, let's do that. Let's make sure we fast and I'm speaking specifically on the covenant of mercy. And why that is so important is that there are covenants that need to be entered for you that even when you're about to make a mistake, the covenant pulls you back. When you're not sure whether you should do it, maybe it's not the right thing, like when I wanted to come to Canada. I wasn't sure at all about Toronto. I wanted to go to Edmonton. Why? Because as a pharmacist, to get into my profession, it would take only three months in Edmonton. Ontario was 11 months. At my school, in my school, they trained me that 11 months is longer than three months. So Edmonton was going to be it. But the guy that was our consultant in London, when he bought the ticket, he just 
somehow they put everything to Toronto. I was very upset. But the covenant kept pushing me. And it was when I got in there, I started pastoring here. And it took me 19 years in Toronto before I could go to that Edmonton, before I had the desire to even go there at all. When I got there, I said to myself, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going back to Toronto. Because the covenant of mercy, which I entered into with God on the 13th of May, 1996, made sure I did not make a mistake. So it's important, I want to challenge you to make sure you're here, you come and do that. Will you join us? Will you join us? Good. Dara, will you join us? Please join. Yeah? Please join so you can have comfort. Yeah? Praise God. Praise God. All right. Great. That's, that's good. Great. So let's pray quickly then for somebody here that wants to give their life to Christ or rededicate their life to Christ. You've never at any time committed your life to Jesus or you want to rededicate your life to Jesus. I want to have the honor of, of praying with you. God loves you. He's not condemning you. God does not condemn you. He loves you. No matter how far you've gone, no matter where you are, He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. I made that decision in 1995. You heard the story of my wife. On Sunday, if you had watched, she made the decision in 1986. You know, and so on and so forth. She was, she was a teenager when she made the decision. I was a young girl when I made mine. And the most important thing is that it's a decision everybody has to make. Okay? So today you're hearing it. God loves you. He wants you to make that decision. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to commit my life to God. I would like to pray for you. Or you're saying, Pastor, I made that decision, but I want to rededicate my life. Whether you're online or here on site, I also want to pray for you. I would like you to do something, however. Place your right hand on your heart, wherever you are. You want to commit your life to Christ or you want to rededicate your life to Christ? I want to pray for you right now. The Holy Spirit is talking in your heart. You're feeling in your heart right now that you should do this. And you, that feeling, I can tell you, is from God. It's God that is talking in your heart and telling you you're the one they're talking to. Make that decision. And I want to pray for you right now. Place your right hand on your heart. Be bold. Be bold. Only decisive people make the best of destiny. Be bold. Now I want to pray for you. Good thing about Christianity is that it's not always just private. It's not private. It's personal, but there's a public dimension to it. Please don't be shy. It's not a cult. We're children of light. If your hand is on your heart, whether you're rededicating your life or you're giving your life to Christ for the first time, don't wait for anybody. Please come and stand with me here right now. I want to pray with you right now. Please come. Come. Please come. Come. Yes. Yes. Please come. Come. Don't wait for anybody. Please come. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, please stand here. Please coming, keep coming. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Keep coming. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're still trying to come, you're figuring out should I come, should I not come? Come, come, stand up, come, come, get off your seat. Come here. Come. Awesome. It's just going to take a few seconds. You're welcome. The, the prayer, I'm going to pray with you right now. It's a few seconds. Please, mean it with all of your heart. And something is going to be transformed and happen in your heart. Place your hand on your heart, please, as you pray this prayer with me. Please stay with me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. On the third day, you rose from the dead. Come into my heart. Take away my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. And give me the grace to live my life 
in a way that is pleasing to you. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, your word says, he that comes to you, you will not cast out. You will embrace them. Lord, these ones have come to you, Lord, today in the name of Jesus. Father, establish them in your kingdom. Wash them clean with your blood. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, look at me for one second, please. Please, I'd like you to uh, put the, yeah, see the number there, text save to this number or scan that. Okay, it will come up with the, pop up with the link. Click the link, please. And I would like to stay in touch with you and send you some materials completely free of charge. All right. God bless you. What's the name? Eh? Bukola. God bless you. Nice meeting you guys. All right. God bless you guys. You can go back, scan it, and you go back, take your seats. God bless you. God bless you. I'll see you next week. God bless you.